Hello, and welcome to this episode of Daily Economics. This is the first of one of my educatory episodes of economics. The topics of these podcasts are decided by the interview questions asked by Oxbridge, and by answering them, I hope you can get insight into economic theory whilst I learn how to tackle interview questions at Oxbridge. The question of this episode is, what is your understanding of Keynesian economics? John Maynard Keynes was an economist born in 1883 whose ideas fundamentally changed the theory and manner in which macroeconomic practice and policy is conducted. His primary research delved into the effect of government spending on inflation, output and employment, especially in weak economic periods such as during a recession and depression. Keynesian economics is considered a demand-side theory that focuses on the dynamics changes of an economy in the short run, as aggregate demand stimulation is a primary intention of the theory. Following the Great Depression, Keynes felt that pre-existing classical theory, as he called it, wasn't effective in guiding the policymakers at the time, birthing Keynesian economics, which provided an alternative perspective on macroeconomics, which integrated behavioural economics into the theory, becoming a pivotal theory used by most modern-day policymakers. Keynesian economics is often known as depression economics because the Great Depression was a time period that Keynes Keynes dominated most of his research in. Reforms in macroeconomic theory was crucial at the time because classical economics failed to account for the threats in the Great Depression. For example, a principal assumption of classical theory was during a downturn in the economy, real wages and profits would decrease and consequently businesses would be rationalised to employ more workers and extension of the demand curve and take advantage of lower prices through greater volumes of investment in pursuit of their own self-interest. However, as exemplified in the Great Depression, the diminished confidence of business disincentivizes employment and investment. Keynes argued that instead the fear and gloom of economic downturn becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy deepening recession and prolonging periods of economic weakness. The main ideas of Keynesian economics that I want to speak about today are, and there are seven of them, the first being the psychology of macro, which is animal spirits and uncertainty. Secondly, the importance of effective demand and the rejection of Say's law, which is the law of suggestion that production of a good creates its demand. The third is the paradox of thrift. The fourth is the liquidity trap and ineffective monetary policy. The fifth is the Keynesian multiplier. Six is fiscal crowding crowding out and fiscal austerity. And finally, the seventh being the problems arising from global, global economic imbalances. So firstly, animal spirits. Keynes coined the notion of animal spirits, which represents the driving forces that cause consumption and investment in an economy. Animal spirits refers to a mix of confidence, trust, mood, and expectations among economic agents. Animal spirits is highly dynamic and volatile, suggesting under short time frames, animal spirits can adjust massively. A large constituting factor to this is the herd behavior of households. When animal spirits are low, consumers are disincentivized to spend and tend to save more while businesses will opt to postponing or downright cancelling planned investment projects. 
which as a whole reduces economic activity as this can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. This is caused because the reduced consumption and investment causes a reduction or contraction in aggregate demand, which in the terms of economy potentially exacerbates the economic downturn it may be experiencing. As a result, an improvement in confidence in the economy can constitute to the upturn of a suffering economy because it promotes spending and planned investment which extends the economy. However, in periods of stagnation, the economy can be trapped in an equilibrium in net, which is where we rely on fiscal spending to boost aggregate demand and revert the economic downturn. Next, effective demand. Effective demand refers to consumers' willingness and ability to pay for a given product. By facilitating the consumer's ability to pay for a good, an economy can benefit from an expansion in aggregate demand, which is a methodology advocated by Keynes to reverse out of an economic downturn. Targeted tax cuts is an example of a policy where taxes could be reduced for households of the lowest income brackets, increasing the disposable spending of households. However, this relies on underlying factors such as the consumer's propensity to consume and whether they decide to put the tax cuts into savings, which would render the policy useless if this were the case. Another example would be the reduction in other expenses households may incur. And by doing this, it means disposable income of consumers will increase. For example, this could be a rent reduction, which both increases the affordability of houses in the market, but also increases the volume of disposable income. Finally, a third example would be increasing the national minimum wage, which will provide more income for those in the lowest income bracket. However, caution needs to be taken with with such policies because with minimum wages, businesses may reduce the quantity of employed labour, which inadvertently increases unemployment. Therefore, through effective demand, we can see how the government could target any three factors which affect the consumer's willingness to pay. This would be by increasing their post-tax income, reducing their expenses, or by increasing their real income. However, in doing so, we need to account for the further effects of the established policy. Thirdly, the paradox of thrift. The paradox of thrift occurs during a prolonged period of deflation in which consumers opt to save money because future cost for a good is going to be cheaper than current day costs, making it more worthwhile for them to wait until prices have deflated to a minimum price. This hoarding of cash into saving will exacerbate deflation because firms will reduce prices as a reaction to the contraction of demand. This can be This can be combated, for example, through limiting the supply of goods. Firms may buy back shares, artificially creating a scarcity for shares, which consequently will lead to a price increase. Without addressing this issue, we follow a self-fulfilling repetition of deflation because, as a chain of events, firstly, consumers are going to save more of their disposable income due to an economic downturn and the paradox of thrift. This suggests an increase in the saving ratio inadvertently contracting the level of consumption. The compounded effect of reduced consumption of many households causes a contraction in aggregate demand. Firms tend to reduce real income and labour forces as a result of this. This reduction of real income leads to less disposable income and cycle then repeats.
The liquidity trap occurs when low interest rates and high cash balances fail to increase aggregate demand in an economy which is in a downturn. This can occur due to several factors. For example, recovering bank institutions have to be risk averse due to their lack of money supply, making them reluctant to grant loans and loans may come with the risk premium attributed to it. Because of their lack of money supply, a bank may also be required to hold on to more capital, which further reduces the number of loans granted. Households' confidence may also mean that they will have little incentive to consume any goods in the economy. If all houses were to save, then all goods and services in the economy would become impoverished, which is a constituting factor as to why Keynes advocates the households save as little as possible and instead increase their spending. Households may be preoccupied also trying to cut existing debt caused by the economic downturn instead of planning or creating any more debt. Keynes warned against these ideas and suggested these were contributing factors to the Great Depression since there was little reaction reductions in the interest rates. Ineffective monetary policy. Keynes suggested that there was an inelastic relationship between interest rates and planned investment i.e. a large reduction in interest rates would lead to a small change in the volume of planned investment. The reason investment increases is because the fall interest rates make some capital investments profitable at the margin. This is measured through the marginal efficiency of capital, otherwise known as MEC, which is a downward sloping curve represented on interest rate investment graph. Consequently, Keynes suggested that instead of promoting shifts along the MEC curve, Measures should be taken to shift this curve outwards in order to increase investment. Examples of this would be technology advancements, rate of growth of demand, or animal spirits. Quantitative easing is a method used by governments to inject cash directly into the economy and through the buyback of government bonds. Although this has been effective in increasing asset pricing, such as market prices off the stock exchange, this hasn't translated into the real economy. The primary reason causing this is lenders still will still expect more from borrowers than borrowers can expect to earn, leading to no improvements. You may begin to notice a pattern by now that Keynes favoured active fiscal policy to stimulate aggregate demand, particularly when the economy was in an economic downturn. So here are a few examples of policies that Keynes would advocate. The first would be counter-cyclical policies, which is steps taken by the government that go against the direction of the economic slash business cycle. So for example, in a recession or slowdown, the government may increase expenditure and reduce taxes to create demand, for example. This is important because another theory we'll go into later on is known as fiscal austerity, which is where the government decide not to spend any of their money during an economic downturn. Another policy would be targeted tax cuts, which we spoke about earlier. Another would be government capital spendings, which is where Keynes favoured labour-intensive projects, such as a new transport infrastructure projects and house building, because they benefited from the multiplier effect, since the project reinvested the value back into the economy. Government debt can also be paid by itself in this way, because depending on the size of the fiscal multiplier, Borrowing will create increased tax revenues because the increased government spending may improve employment or real income. And now for fiscal austerity. 
Fiscal austerity is an alternative approach to Keynes ideas in which government avoid fiscal spending in the hope that an economy downspin will resolve itself in the long run. Advantages of this would be the reduced debt in the long run, which is in the long-term interest of the economy because it helps keep taxes low. This also means that there is reduced spending on the private side, incentivizing public sector growth into these neglected public sectors. There's a high opportunity cost from the accumulated billions of debt caused by fiscal spending. Cutting fiscal debt will increase animal spirits also, which means investors from foreign countries may opt to do some form of foreign direct investment into the economy. And the upturn of a cycle is time for the government to borrow less ahead of another downturn. The liquidity trap occurs when low interest rates and high cash balances fail to increase aggregate demand in an economy which is in a downturn. This can occur due to several factors. For example, recovering bank institutions have to be risk averse due to their lack of money supply, making them reluctant to grant loans and loans may come with the risk premium attributed to it. Because of their lack of money supply, a bank may also be required to hold on to more capital, which further reduces the number of loans granted. Households' confidence may also mean that they will have little incentive to consume any goods in the economy. If all houses were to save, then all goods and services in the economy would become impoverished, which is a constituting factor as to why Keynes advocates that households save as little as possible and instead increase their spending. Households may be preoccupied also trying to cut existing debt caused by the economic downturn instead of planning or creating any more debt. Keynes warned against these ideas and suggested these were contributing factors to the Great Depression since there was little reaction reductions in the interest rates. Ineffective monetary policy. Keynes suggested that there was an inelastic relationship between interest rates and planned investment i.e. a large reduction in interest rates would lead to a small change in the volume of planned investment. The reason investment increases is because the fall interest rates make some capital investments profitable at the margin. This is measured through the marginal efficiency of capital, otherwise known as MEC, which is a downward sloping curve represented on an interest rate investment graph. Consequently, Keynes suggested that instead of promoting shifts along the MEC curve, Measures should be taken to shift this curve outwards in order to increase investment. Examples of this would be technology advancements, rate of growth of demand, or animal spirits. Quantitative easing is a method used by governments to inject cash directly into the economy and through the buyback of government bonds. Although this has been effective in increasing asset pricing, such as market prices of the stock exchange, this hasn't translated into the real economy. The primary reason causing this is lenders still will still expect more from borrowers than borrowers can expect to earn, leading to no improvements. You may begin to notice a pattern by now that Keynes favoured active fiscal policy to stimulate aggregate demand, particularly when the economy was in an economic downswing. So here are a few examples of policies that Keynes would advocate. The first would be counter-cyclical policies, which is steps taken by the government that go against the direction of the economic slash business 
income cycle. So for example, in a recession or slowdown, the government may increase expenditure and reduce taxes to create demand, for example. This is important because another theory we'll go into later on is known as fiscal austerity, which is where the government decide not to spend any of their money during an economic downturn. Another policy would be targeted tax cuts, which we spoke about earlier. Another would be government capital spendings, which is where Keynes favoured labour-intensive projects, such as a new transport infrastructure projects and house building, because they benefited from the multiplier effect since the project reinvested value back into the economy. Government debt can also be paid by itself in this way, because depending on the size of the fiscal multiplier, borrowing will create increased tax revenues because the increased government spending may improve employment or real income. And now for fiscal austerity. Fiscal austerity is an alternative approach to Keynes' ideas in which government avoid fiscal spending in the hope that an economy downspin will resolve itself in the long run. Advantages of this would be the reduced debt in the long run, which is in the long-term interest of the economy because it helps keep taxes low. This also means that there's reduced spending on the private side, incentivizing public sector growth into these neglected public sectors. There's a high opportunity cost from the accumulated billions of debt caused by fiscal spending. Cutting fiscal debt will increase animal spirits also, which means investors from foreign countries may opt to do some form of foreign direct investment into the economy. And the upturn of a cycle is time for the government to borrow less ahead of another downturn.